The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. All right, all right. Uh, week three of the summer. Thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, glad you're here as we continue on in the series uh, that we've been walking through so far this summer. Hope you guys had a great weekend enjoying the sun out there. Uh, a couple things. I want to keep you updated on my life. I personally think my life is very important. You guys probably do too. Um, uh, oh my gosh. Okay. Biggest news is I bought a yacht. Okay. Um, yeah, I know. I was hoping for a big summer uh, paycheck, like a bonus, uh, to reward me from my work. Didn't get it, like I was thinking, and I had plans to buy a yacht, so I did not. I bought a 12-foot wooden boat instead. Um, costed a lot. It was a little over 100 bucks. And, uh, but it's awesome. I now have a boat. I spent the last two or three weeks working on it, painting it, fiberglassing it even. And I figure, you know, a lot of pastors, when they come up, they'll talk about their kids over and over. Oh, my kids did this, all this kind of stuff. Well, no kids, but I got a boat. So... <laughs> From now on, every week I speak, I will probably have an update on the boat for you. So get excited for that. It didn't come with a motor or a trailer, uh, but it came with two oars and three life jackets. Those old ones, the orange ones you put around here and then tie that single strap around. Uh, anyways, that was the big news of my week that you should know. Uh, oh, okay, another thing. And this was a weird one for me. I lost my cell phone on Thursday. Last Thursday, I played in a basketball tournament over in West Seattle, and somewhere between the end of the game and getting home, my cell phone disappeared. And I retraced every step, and I could not figure it out. And so then I thought, okay, little, this could be a little, you know, psychological thing. I'll try to see how long I can go without a cell phone. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. What's, is anyone, who went the longest, like, before they got a cell phone? Did anyone, like, wait? Okay. Senior, did anybody go any of their college without a cell phone? I went my entire college without a cell phone. Yeah, you're like 50. Um, <laughs> anyways, I have no idea how people did anything before they had a cell phone on them. Saturday night, I still was trying to go no cell phone. I wanted to hang out with people. I emailed them early in the day, Saturday, and I said, if you guys are doing anything tonight, please email me back because I have no phone and no other way of getting a hold of you. And they emailed me and they're like, 10.15, we will be here tonight. And I was like, great, I will see you there. I show up, they're not there. I waited, and I waited until like 10.30, and I was like, yeah, it's 15 minutes, long enough. And then I, well, here's the sad truth. I ended up going home after that. I worked on the boat a little bit. It was fine. But I was thinking, and then the next day, they're like, oh, yeah, oh, we just decided that wasn't the place we wanted to go, so they went somewhere else. And I was like, I told you, you have to stay there. I only, my only means of communication was email or somebody stopping by my house. So anyways, crazy. Yesterday, I went crazy, ended up... Uh, trying to get a new cell phone, went back to my old cell phone, which I thought was horrible, but now I think is the greatest thing in the world, because uh, it certainly beats no cell phone. Um, oh, but I was having a conversation with my roommate, who has, is one of the many, many people that has an iPhone, and I'm not an iPhone convert, convert yet, but I did find something that I found very fascinating about the iPhone that I had never seen, and some of you may have one, and you may know this, but the most fascinating application I could possibly think of is this one that he was telling me about that you set it on the bed next to you 
and it tells you when you're dreaming. Okay, show that picture, okay? This, have you guys seen this? This may be, you guys may know this really well. I just discovered it yesterday for the first time. You set it on the bed next to your iPhone. It, by your movement in bed, it tells you when you're sleeping, when, oh, when you're dreaming, when you're in deep sleep, which apparently is sometime that you're not dreaming. I know nothing about how dreams or sleep work or anything like that. Um, and what time, like your total time you slept, all that kind of stuff. This is absolutely fascinating. In fact, it's so fascinating, I don't believe one word that the iPhone says. I now don't believe anything about the iPhone. Um, I love that you would want to share it with people on <laughs> Guess who slept five hours last night? Um, yeah, the iPhone doesn't lie. It only tells the truth. Anyways, uh, this is actually... We'll try to make a little segue here. Kind of a little bit about what the message is we're going to share about today, which is that this, to me, is, is, is unexplainable. I have no clue how this works, how a phone's sitting to you that is not, like, you know, probing your body or takes your temperature or anything, but just sits next to you, you don't even touch it, and somehow it tells you when you're dreaming. How? That is very unexplainable to me. So to me, it makes no sense, and I, I don't agree that it actually works. Um... But uh, tonight, actually, in this text we're going to look at, we're going to look at a story in John 9 and, and look at this idea of, of things being unexplainable and what we do when we don't know how to explain something. And so tonight we're going to carry on in the series uh, that we've been walking through uh, called The Point of No Return, looking at these different conversations with Jesus. Uh, and, and, and when we're presented with this truth, what we do in those moments. Do we step into that truth? Do we step into that light and stay in that light and let that truth uh, work in us and transform us, or do we step back into the darkness because it's more comfortable for us? Uh, last week, uh, we took a little bit of text and talked a lot about it. This week, we're, we're, we're going to take a whole... Hey, no problem. It's just for me. Could you take a message? <laughs> Don't do that. Trust me, I had no phone for a while. It wasn't that fun. I'll tell you about it sometime. Uh, but anyways, we're going to look at the whole chapter of John 9 today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whole chapter um, and, and tonight what I want to do is I want to take a look at this text And John, it's a lot of scripture tonight But I think it's a very, very powerful story And I want to let this story pretty much speak for itself Here tonight, I think there's a lot in here we can look at And, and we're going to just kind of slowly get our way through this, this text tonight I also think it's a pretty funny story. I don't know if you guys think that the Bible is funny at all, if you find humor as you read. For me, I never found the Bible humorous. I always thought kind of, okay, you know, it's just what it is. And then when I was like in middle school, I discovered, you know, Song of Songs. And I was like, there's stuff about sex in the Bible. And then I got super, you know, excited. And and then it was just either like exciting or, you know, normal. But I didn't know it could be funny. Anyways, some parts of the text tonight, kind of funny, I think. Okay. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have shared that. Um, All right, we're going to start... In John chapter 9, though, um, and we're just going to start in verse 1 here. Uh, it's talking about Jesus here, and it says, As he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this was a common uh, idea at the time that if somebody had some sort of a physical ailment or, or were sick in some way, that uh, somebody sinned in order for them to be that way. Maybe they sinned even in the womb somehow, or possibly that the parents sinned and that they are paying the price for that. So this was not totally an uncommon uh, thing to say. But Jesus replies and he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. 
As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he continues on. Uh, Having said this, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on this man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was he. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, no, I I am the man. And this is the first part of the story that I like. I picture this guy, uh, you know, he's been blind his entire life. He's never seen anything. For the first time in life, he's healed. He can see. He comes home to see his family, his friends, everybody that's important to him. He's super pumped up. I can see. I can see for the first time. And these guys are like, "Ah, is it him? I don't think so. You know, and then they start getting this argument. It's like, I'll oh, forget about him. We'll just argue. You know, was it, was it he? Is it not he? And he's like, dude, I am. I am the man. Like, I, I, I've been healed. And he's probably a little disappointed that they're not more excited for him. Um, okay, uh, verse 10. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. And I picture this time I'm going, huh? Like, who, who cares where he is? Like, what's the big deal here? The big deal is the fact that I have been blind my entire life, and now for the first time ever, I can see. Who cares who healed me? Who cares where he is? Don't you guys want to celebrate? Can't we get a parade, fireworks, get a cake out or something? Like, it's time to celebrate. This guy can see. But they just want to know where the man is. So he says, I don't know. I don't know where he is. And uh, not knowing what else to do, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, so close. So close. You can't work on the Sabbath. And I thought that Jesus would have known that. And, and as I look at this story, it all adds up except the fact that Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which was a very big deal, especially to Pharisees, uh, rule keepers, rule followers. And, and, and you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath at the time. I mean, any work that you could possibly think of, you could not do. In fact, there was, there was so much controversy that they made a huge list of rules that you had to follow so that you weren't working. You couldn't even walk a certain distance. Uh, you, you definitely couldn't make mud and, and heal somebody. I mean, you, could bear, you couldn't even like light a lamp uh, in your house. This was, this was considered work. And so I thought Jesus would have known better to heal on the Sabbath, but he does it anyway. Therefore... The Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous things? So they were divided. How did he do this? He he can't be from God because he didn't. Because he healed on the Sabbath, and, and a, a man from God wouldn't heal on the Sabbath. And you want to know how we know what God would and wouldn't do is because we know everything about God. 
We know who he is. We know, we know what he does. We know when he heals, when he doesn't. We have God completely figured out. And since God did something that does not make sense with what we know God to be, there is no possible way it could have been true. I mean, I hear that and I go, what arrogance. I mean, how close-minded. There's something that is undeniable that has happened in this story. There is a blind man who has gained his sight back. It's right in front of them. They can see it, but because they can't explain it, because it's different than the God that they think they know, they choose to, no, no, it can't be. It can't be God. We can't figure this out at all. It probably never actually happened. Quite frustrating, I would imagine. Um, but others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous things? And so now the people are divided and they don't know what to do. They're divided. So they turn to the blind man and they say, Hey, what about you? What do you have to say about it? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, oh, and I, I got to, you know, guess that maybe he, this is kind of more of a question statement, but he says, uh, he's a prophet. I don't, I don't really know. But the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind. And so now they went and they sent for his parents. We don't even think at this point that this man has ever been blind. This is how far it's going. And so they go and they send for his parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And they pretty much have responses for these three questions. Yes, we know he is our son. The parents answered. Yes, we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Now this was a big deal. And I looked at this before and I thought, okay, he gets, you know, he get kicked out of church or something like that. Not that big a deal. You know, I'll go find another synagogue to go to or, or something like that. But, but to be kicked out of the synagogue was a big deal because this was a very uh, central hub within where, where they were at. Uh, and, and this was where you came to worship God. This is where you came to be right with God. And so to be kicked out of the synagogue, not be able to ever come back there meant you could never be right with God Again, and it affected way more than that. Now, all of a sudden, you became an outcast in society. I mean, it affected a job you could get. It affected the way your family looked at you. It affected who would be your friends, who you could date, who you would marry. I don't know if they dated at the time, maybe just courted or something. Um, but, but, but all your relationships were affected by this. So it's a big deal uh, for them to get kicked out of the synagogue, which is why they stand back and say, hey, uh, you know, uh, we'll let him speak for himself on this one. So a second time... They summon the man who has been blind. This time, they just straight up tell him, Give glory to God, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. And then, and then verse 25 comes, and I love verse 25. I think this is the key of this text right here. Something big is going on, and this man knows it. And he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
And he answered. And this is actually, this is a part I, I feel is kind of funny. One of the funnier lines, I think, in the Bible. Uh, I look at this and I kind of read it like a little, like he's a little brother, maybe. I don't know if you guys were in kind of like a brother-sister relationship where there's a little brother and he knows he's going to get beat up by his older brother somehow, but he decides, I just want to take one swing. If I can just get the first punch in, oh my gosh, I might get beat up really bad, but I just got to get something in there. And, and oh, this line is just classic. He says, I have told you already and you did not listen. And he kind of jabs at him. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I know he knows they probably don't want to become his disciples. But he's like, oh, you you guys want to become his disciples, don't you? And then, and this is where they really turn on him. They hurl insult to him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. I don't know what that voice was. That's the way I picture. Okay, that's the way I always pictured God kind of speaking to Moses in the bush. Moses. Okay. You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. Man, I, I, I look at that. And, and again, that, that the arrogance of these guys. They don't, they don't know... Where he came from, they don't. It doesn't make sense with what they believe. And these were people that had, had gotten so caught up with going. We know everything. We understand the way that God works. And if it does not line up with the way that, that we think, it cannot possibly be true. And because it's unexplainable to them, they ignore what, what is undeniable that has happened right in front of them. And I know for me, this is something that that is actually a, a kind of convicting um, a piece of Scripture to, to the way that, that I live my life. I know as, as kind of, you know, um, growing as a, as, a, as a pastor, I try to understand college students more. I try to understand one of the big things that I've tried to understand more in the last uh, couple years especially is interpreting the will of God in our lives. That's a big question at this point in life is, is what is the will of God for my life? What does God want me to do? What is he saying? What is he doing in my life? And I, I get that question quite a bit. And I've tried to study things. I've tried to look and go, okay, this is the way I think that God speaks on certain levels. And, and, and I start to develop my own theories on it. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll talk to someone that goes, I just really feel like God is, is telling me to do this, or God is leading me in this way. And sometimes, when that's not the way that you know I interpret God to speak in certain ways, my first thought is, that's uh, not really God speaking to you. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know, I don't necessarily know if it is, but I know sometimes that's my first thought, is to go, that doesn't line up with the way that I interpret God sometimes, so, so it might not be true. And there are a lot of things in this faith that, that we, we don't necessarily have an explanation for. A couple weeks ago, when we talked, I talked a little bit about uh, some of the ways that I wish God was sometimes. And then some of those things are based off the, the things that, that I can't explain in this faith. Um, there are things like, you know, for instance, like speaking in tongues. Is something that, that I've never uh, been a part of myself, speaking or, or hearing it or being in a room where uh, it's done. But... Um, if it happens somewhere, my first thought is, uh, whatever. I don't really, uh, that's not something I really understand. So I, I kind of ignore it. Um, in fact, when I was, I told you guys last week about the trip, uh, when I was over in Zambia two years ago, 
Uh, and I got the chance to, to lead a te- uh, team over there, but also got a chance to start the construction of a school for three weeks. And while we were uh, out, out building the school on one Sunday, um, we, we went to church. I went to the church, and the people we were staying with were like, you got to come to this church. We love the pastor. We had him over for dinner a couple times. I, I absolutely love this guy. But we were sitting in church, and, you know, it was a pretty charismatic uh, ceremony. went on for multiple hours. For any of you who have been to you know, certain other countries or places where church goes on and on. And uh, there, were, there started to be some uh, prophecy in there. He started prophesying on people. And then there was a boy, kind of actually like today's story, um, that was, uh, couldn't see real well. And his mom stood up and was like, could you uh, heal this young boy? And the pastor's up there and he goes, absolutely. Brings the boy up and, you know, kind of puts his hands on his head and starts speaking and Something's going on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? This is totally different than, you know, me being in a Presbyterian church and, and something happening down here. And, uh, and when it's done, uh, he starts talking to the boy, and the boy kind of backs up, and he's like, can you see, and all this stuff. And the boy's like, yeah, I can see really good. And my first thought, the very first thought that came to my head was like, that is absolute bogus. I was like, get out the eye chart. Like, I want him to read an eye chart. Like, I don't know what they have here. And that was my first thought. And, and it was really convicting. I said, just because this isn't something that I see every day where I worship, God, my first instinct was to say, ah, that can't be true. And, and, and so there have been times, I know for myself, where I've kind of ignored things. Whether it was undeniable or not in that situation, I don't know. But it certainly was unexplainable to me. And that was my first. That was my first thought. A lot like uh, the first thoughts of these Pharisees who choose just to ignore something going on right in front of them. Okay, the story continues. We're we're almost going to get through it here. Uh, verse thirty. The man answered, and this is the this is the blind man answering back uh, to the Pharisees here. It says, "Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes." We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. Now he's out on his own. Gonna have to fend for himself now. Um, but this continues; it doesn't end there. Jesus actually comes and finds him, and I love this. This is a pretty cool part. In verse thirty-five, it says Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" Just a little side tangent. This really has nothing to do with uh, kind of the message for tonight. But but I love this piece of the scripture that that when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus comes and and he finds him. And this man really sacrificed a lot. These people all of a sudden started hating this man. I mean, they liked him better when he was a blind beggar. Like, at least then he had friends, he was accepted, people felt bad for him. Now, all of a sudden, they, they hate this guy and they kick him out. And I think sometimes when we start to follow God, when we start to live our lives for him, there are certain things in life that, that we oftentimes have to sacrifice, that, 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 we, that we give up. Um, or maybe we step out of certain situations we're in in order to follow him. More And I just love the verse 35 that Jesus comes and he meets him right there. Because I think when we take those steps uh, away from where we may have been living or the things that we need to step out of, Jesus comes and he meets us in there. He doesn't leave us all alone. I just, I just love that picture. 
Um, but back to, back to the text. Uh, Jesus finds him and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man who, who has no idea who that is, he says, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You are now, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Oh my gosh. What a great picture of humility. You know, Jesus doesn't ask, hey, do you want some explanation about who the Son of Man may be? Nope. You know, do you have any questions you want answered? Nope. Do you want to, are you sure you don't want to know a little more before you just come worship? Nope. I, I don't know. I don't know. I may have a ton of questions, but, but I don't need to ask those questions. See, here's what I know. I once was blind, and, and now I see. And you're the guy that healed me. So whatever it is you want me to do, uh, that's what I'll do. I recognize something that is so undeniable and it is such the opposite perspective of the Pharisees here who in their own arrogance refuse to believe what's going on. I just love, love, love the humility of this man here. I just love it. I love what he teaches us in this moment and that is that you don't have to know everything to believe in something. I know that sometimes in our faith we get caught up in the unexplainable. And we lose sight of those things that may be undeniable for us. I, I know that, that for me, I get questions a lot. Uh, I, love, I love being in situations where I get a chance to talk to folks who, who, who wouldn't consider themselves Christians, who wouldn't consider themselves followers, and especially uh, college students like yourselves, which I love the fact that in college, you come and you're, you're here and you're trained to ask a lot of questions. You're, you're trying to figure a lot of stuff out. That's why you're here. You're trying to figure out... The world, and at times I get a lot of questions that I can't answer. You know, hey, as, as a kid, my, my mom, you know, died of this, and, and how could there be a God that possibly let that happen? Sometimes I don't know. I get a lot of questions sometimes based around uh, creation. Uh, hey, did it really happen in seven days? I don't think it possibly could have happened in seven days. Is that a metaphor? Is, is one day ten years? Is, is that, did that not even really happen? I've read some scientific studies that this stuff didn't really happen. I go, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have all the, all the questions answered. I, I, love that. I love that there's questions, and I hope that uh, you know, we're, we're good question uh, askers, but I hope that doesn't stop us from stepping into this. Because as much as there are things about this faith that don't have an explanation, I want to tell you something. There are also a lot of things that are undeniable. To me, it's undeniable that 2,000 years ago, a man that claimed to be God walked this earth. And as he walked this earth, he taught and, and he led people. And, and as he was here, he died on a Roman cross and three days later he rose again. And he came back to those people that he led and, and, and he taught them and he lived life with them. And, and eventually he left them. He left dozens of people on this earth to spread that message about a Savior who came to, to, to save this world. To, that if we would put our uh, faith in him, that he would forgive those sins of ours and that we would go to heaven. And those dozens of people quickly turned into hundreds of people. And then hundreds turns into thousands, and there are thousands of people that, that not only lived a hard life to, to spread that message and to live for Jesus Christ, but then died. Painful deaths, a lot of them, because of what they believed. But that didn't stop this message as it continued to grow and grow. And it is undeniable that today you could go to any country in the world, and there are people 
who have put their faith in a Savior, in a man, in a son of a Jewish carpenter who came down here and said, I'm the Son of God. And there are almost 2 billion people in this world, a 30% of this world, that put their faith in this man. And you know what else is undeniable to me? That there is a longing inside of each one of us that, that we try to fill and fill with all types of things of this world, but I don't think can be filled with anything but that relationship with our Savior. And what else is undeniable to me is that six years ago, a little over six years ago, at the age of 21, God showed me that that a personal relationship with him was going to fill something that I've been trying to fill with all types of things throughout my college life. That that I lived a life here, I will tell you, that that I took everything I could possibly do to to make myself feel good at the time, in the moment, and God took all that and said, we're going to actually fill you with something that you've never been filled with before. And he grabbed me at the depths of the life I was living six years ago and through a community around me, through bringing me all around the world and see the way that he was working in different communities, including my first mission trip, my very first one, down in the Dominican Republic where I got a chance six years ago to witness his working and, and to, 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 to somehow have him grab me and, and to have an undeniable moment there that I can't deny but I ne- don't necessarily, I can't necessarily explain either. But for the first time, go, this is real and there's something so real about this. And through a community back home and the way he continued to speak through me and and through mentorship in my life and transformed this heart of mine from what it once was to a heart so filled with with love and grace and compassion and peace. And I only stand here today because, because of the presence of God in my life. And I bet that if you took a look at your own life, Look back or maybe look now that there are some things in there that may be undeniable to you. That even in the midst of some unexplainable things about this faith and about Jesus and about God, that there's some undeniable that He's done or maybe He's doing right now. And in fact, here's what I want to do. Next week, when we come back here, I actually want to push next week's message back. I want to push it back two weeks from tonight. We'll finish the series in two weeks. But next week, we're going to have kind of a, uh, a little more of a worship night. We're going to play a few more worship songs. And we're going to open this floor up. We're going to open up a microphone up front. And I would encourage you to come up and share something that God may have done at some point in your life that you said that was undeniably the presence of God in my life. And maybe it's something that over the years you've kind of let that fade and, and as other people have started to question it, you know, you've, you kind of haven't always had answers for them. And I'm not asking you to come up here and, uh, you know, make some up or exaggerate or, or feel the pressure at all to do that. But I would encourage you to think about that next week, maybe for your, you know, for encouragement for yourself or encouragement for someone else to, to share something that you go, this has been undeniably the presence of God in my life. And as we come back next week, we're going to have the opportunity to, to share that. Uh, if you take a little bit of time this week to think about that. And for those of you that, that maybe, maybe earlier on in this journey, maybe this is your first time here tonight. If this is your first time, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're here with us tonight. I hope that this is a place that you feel comfortable uh, being, being yourself, um, but, you know, asking plenty of questions. Uh, you know, not being afraid to say, ah, I don't really understand this. And, and my hope is that if that's the place that you sit in, great. 
You know, keep exploring, keep exploring what this may be. There's something that's in this text, uh, another point that I really, really love, and, and I think it speaks into uh, wherever we're at in this relationship with Jesus, even if we wouldn't say that we even have that relationship. And this is actually something that uh, William Barclay, he's a commentator, uh, writes um, commentaries, uh, much, much smarter man than me uh, by far. But, but he does a little study of this man that I, that I think is really cool and I want to point out tonight. And that is the way that this man addresses God throughout this story I think is really, really cool. In fact, early on uh, in verse... Um, in verse 11, they're asking this man, this blind man, how his eyes were opened. And he says, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. So he calls him the man. Okay, this man called Jesus. And then the second time he refers to him is verse 17. And, and they ask him, who is this man? And he says, I, I think he's a prophet. So he goes from calling him a man to calling him a prophet at this point. And then as this story goes on in verse 38... The man says, Lord, I believe as he addresses Jesus. And his transformation, just from sitting in that relationship, from calling him man to calling him a prophet to calling him Lord, I I think is, is a great picture of if we sit in this, if we sit in this light, this truth from Jesus Christ, and we don't run when it's uncomfortable or when we don't have all the answers to every question we have. But we sit there and we let that light transform us. I think our respect for Jesus continues to grow where we get to the point that from once calling Him man uh, to calling Him Lord, I think it's happened. So stay there. My encouragement is to just stay there. Keep, keep going. Keep asking questions. Uh, don't be afraid to keep exploring in this place. And we hope it's a place that you can, you can explore that. I want to finish with this. This is kind of my final thought, if you will, for the night. Um, I was, I, I was looking for a book to read this uh, last couple of weeks, and I, I picked up the book The Shack. Now, I know that a lot of people have probably read it, maybe not. Uh, a couple of years ago, it started getting real popular. Uh, a lot of folks um, have read this book, and, and I, I picked it up again. I just was looking through my bookshelf going, I just kind of want something to read before I go to bed. And, and I read this book, and I, um, I actually really like it. I'm a big fan, and I'm not here to, to debate any of the theology uh, within it. Uh, maybe you believe, like, oh, yeah, that's you know something that could happen. Maybe not. I don't I don't know necessarily, but uh, for those of you that haven't read it, what I love about this book is that it paints this picture for us kind of walking through a very personal relationship with with Jesus, uh, with God, with the Holy Spirit kind of right in our midst. And I just love the way that there's these interactions with Jesus, just this, this level of comfort, this level of intimacy that it shows me. And I'll tell you what, I leave there just just being able to walk out and go, God, I I just, uh, man, I just know you, your presence more in my life. And I think it comes at a point where I've been trying to study a lot of different theology or a lot of different, you know, kind of theories about God, trying to grow in that area. And for me, just to take a little bit of time this week was, was so refreshing um, uh, to start to look at this, this relationship even more and, and feel uh, just God's presence, to know the presence of Jesus Christ in my life. Because if there's one thing I want you to take away from this story tonight, it's that my hope is that, that us as a community are, are people who don't fall in love with our theories about Jesus. But rather that we would be people that continue to know Him more. Rather that we would fall in love with Him. And instead of just knowing our, our different theories, 
about him, uh, rather that we would be people that, that come to know him and, and know his love in our life even more. Let's pray. God, I'll be the first to admit that there are a lot of things uh, that are tough sometimes. Um, for me, when, uh, when I can't explain certain things uh, about you that, that I wish I had answers for at the time, God, but I thank you so much that you've been an undeniable presence um, in my life, God. And, and I just pray that as, as we sit here um, and we, we worship you uh, tonight, God, and as we leave this place, that we would, um, we would know you. God, we would know your presence uh, in our lives even more, Lord. Amen.